this. Last week, we looked at a couple of um, uh, the names in here, and we're going to look at more of them, but uh, as I, I try to do sometimes when we have um, our young people in here, um, I brought a couple things along, and this is for our elementary age. So we'll start with our elementary age. If our elementary age can't get it, then we'll, we'll, we'll let our, we'll go from there, okay? And so I'm going to get something out here, and basically what I'm, the, the question is, what do you call this, or what is its name, if it's a, a thing or whatever it is, okay? Does that make sense? Kids, are you ready? You got to wake up now. All right. So here's the start. Here's the first one. It's a rag doll. What's her name? I might be dating some of the young young people here too. This is Raggedy Ann, right? And so I had to make sure with my wife that I wasn't holding up the wrong thing. So Raggedy Ann. That's her name, okay? That's the only, that's the only, uh, the other things are going to be things. All right, so what is this? Duct tape. That's right. Duct tape, you got it. And this is actually even real authentic. It has the duct on the inside, so. All right, so you got duct tape. It's name. What is this? Our elementary age. What is this? Do you know? All right, we'll go to our teenagers. Floppy disk. Oliver, there you go. We used to put these in our computers to save our information. Okay? Very good. A floppy disk, that's what you call it. All right? And here's the last one. What is this? A sponge. That's right. It's a real, it used to be living, I guess it was. Um, but these are all things that have names to help us identify them. And so I picked those um, because that's what's going on in this verse. That God is helping us see some of the names of who this child would be. Let's go back and let's read the verse um, again. It's really short, um, and I'll make a couple comments about the beginning part, um, and then we'll look at the last two names uh, this morning. And so here's what he says. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And so we, we said this last time, the first two lines there, this, this child would be born. So the sign would be a child, a, a baby, a human being. Um, but he says that this child wasn't just going to be a human being. What's the, the second line that he says? For, uh, for to us, a son is given. And so this child would be completely human, but he would be more than a human being. He would be a son given. Why? Because He would be God himself, God the 
son. He would be given because he didn't have a beginning. All of us have a beginning, right? There's a part where we weren't, and God gave us life. There was a conception. But this child would be born, but he would be given because he is God the Son. God doesn't have a beginning. And we're going to see these last two, uh, the, uh, the, one of the names that we're going to look here, Everlasting, uh, everlasting Father. Uh, look down there at the, at the end of the verse. He calls it, one of his names will be Everlasting Father. Uh, father. And so uh, what is he saying here? And, and again, the emphasis, um, you can hold your finger there and uh, look over to Psalm 90. We're going to look at a couple different verses here. And uh, you, can, you can look at them on the screen or you can uh, page through. Psalm 90, verse 2. Again, the everlasting part here. Psalm 90, verse 2, it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so this child, this son given, would also be called the everlasting father. Part, so the focus of his name is that he's the everlasting. That's why he would be a son given. He couldn't just be a son born because every one of us were a child born, but we have a beginning. But the Messiah would be different. He would be fully human, but he also would be everlasting to everlasting. He says here he's the everlasting father. And so, uh, you know, a lot of times when we see that father, it's not He's not talking here about the Trinity, so to speak. That, that idea is developed in Scripture, but that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that the Son is the Father and the Father is the Son. The, 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 the term Father here, what he's really saying is that he is the everlasting source or author of life. That's what, it, that, that's what the emphasis is here. He is the creator. And so isn't that a staggering thing that this child, this son given, would be the everlasting father. He would be eternal, and he would be the creator. And so we know that this is developed uh, later. Uh, uh, turn back to John chapter 1. We can read here. and There's, there's a lot of passages we could have gone to. I just picked a few here. And again, one of the things that we see here is that the Messiah was not, is a, is a theme all through the scriptures. It was always part of God's plan. So John chapter 1, look at verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Here's given another name for God the Son, the, the name the Word. He, he, is, he communicates, he helps us see and understand and know who the invisible God of the universe is. And even for us, as we're sitting here, we're looking at uh, words written on the screen. And so that's what Jesus Christ is. He is the visible one who helps us understand the invisible 
God of the universe. As words are coming out of my mouth, you can't see them. You can hear them. And the illustration is God can't be seen because he is spirit. He is invisible. But the word, Jesus Christ, the visible one, shows us who God is because he is God. He is God. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John has this way of, you know, you kind of get lost in his words, but he's basically just saying anything that's been created, it has God's fingerprints on it. God's the one who made it. Verse uh, verse 3, that's all we're reading. So again, coming back to the everlasting Father, talking about Jesus Christ, talking about the Messiah. It's that he is eternal, but he's also the creator. And again, this is developed through Scripture. You think back to, when I, I'm not going to flip here, but last week we worked at, looked at this passage when Jesus uh, said to the religious leaders, before Abraham was, what, what did he say? I am? Exactly. He was saying that I have always existed. I don't have a beginning, because God doesn't have a beginning. And I know we can't wrap our heads, heads around that because we think only in terms of, well, I had a beginning, so God has to have a beginning. No, he doesn't. God is God. He doesn't have to have a beginning. He's eternal. He's the everlasting Father. And so one of the things Jesus uh, did share this with us, turn back to John chapter 10. John 10, verse 30. He revealed that him and his father, although different persons, were one. Here's what Jesus says in uh, John chapter 10, verse 30. I and the father are one. So what is he saying there? We, 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 we live in complete and perfect harmony. We're never in competition. You never hear the son say, well, you got too much attention. I want some of that. It doesn't happen. That's what we do as sinful people. You know, well, you, you missed me. You hurt my feet. You know, never happens with the, guy, with the father and the son. There is complete harmony they work together all the time. And that's the hope of heaven. Won't that be the greatest joy of heaven? We'll never be in competition again. We'll never be like, well, I, I didn't, we'll, we'll, we'll live in complete harmony because of, the, because of the Godhead. Turn over to John chapter 14, verse 9. Jesus said it this way. Again, we're going back to the name, the everlasting Father. John 14, verse 9. Jesus said to him, this is to Philip, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And so Jesus made it clear, when you see me, You are seeing God the Father because we are one. I am the everlasting creator, Father, 
and I'm making that very clear. We'll look at one last passage here. Uh, Colossians, turn back to Colossians chapter 1. And there's a ton in these couple verses. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 15. I'll just read it in there. There's more in here, but again. He is the image, verse 15, of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, and he's talking about Jesus Christ here, the Messiah, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so just as Isaiah writes this verse under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saying that in 700 years, I mean, he didn't know this at the time, but that um, this child would be born, this son would be given, and that he would be the everlasting father. He would reveal the everlasting father. It's another name of Jesus Christ the Messiah. So we're going to spend more of our time on this last one. What does he say? Prince, turn back. Well, if you want to, or you can look at it. Isaiah 9. Let me, read the, let me read the verse again. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And the last name he gives here is Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. And so what does this name communicate? Well, I think the start it communicates a prince is under the authority of who? The king, okay? And so this child, this son, would be the prince of peace. He would be the, under the authority, at least in his time here on earth, of the father, of the king. And so we know that Jesus said that in t different times, right? John chapter, let me read John 5, uh, verse 19. What did what did Jesus, Jesus revealed? That he was under the Father's authority. John chapter 5, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And so Jesus obeyed because he was showing us what it means to walk intimately with God. He was always about the Father's will, always about obeying him, doing what he wanted him to do, even when it was hard or difficult, and that's what he did. And so that helps us see this idea of he is the prince of peace. He's under the authority. So he is the Prince of Peace. And so why is that needed? You know, why do, does this world need peace? Why does it? Yeah, we're all, you know, we're, we're absolutely. You don't have, 
you know, you just watch the news and you see that there are conflicts all over the place from a national level to also a, a human level. There is rebellion. There is disorder. And so this world needs peace. What is peace? Peace is about taking a conflict and turn it into reconciliation where you're at odds with one another and then you become friends, so to speak. And so this world is at odds with God, isn't it? We see that. Why are, why are the things in this world such a mess? It's because of the broken relationship between this world and humanity and the living God of the universe. And so we need the Prince of Peace. And so flip back to Isaiah chapter 9, or maybe, maybe you're there, um, but uh, turn over to Isaiah, uh, verse, uh, Isaiah 11, uh, two chapters later, and again, remember, Isaiah is written 700 years before this baby is born, before Christ shows up, and so Isaiah is sharing what is going to happen in the future, and so... Um, what he's telling us here is how this world is going to be reconciled in a grander way than what we see today, okay? And so look down in verse 6. I'm going to read through these, uh, you know, the, these qualities or the, this description. And the first question is, is this, is this a description of the world that we live in today? Just listen to these, these verses. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. So do we see that in, do we see that in our, do we see that here? No. You don't go on National Geographic or go to the zoo, and do they put the lambs in with uh, leopards or whatever? I might have messed it up, but do they put them in the same cage? Why not? They'll eat them. There is a lack of peace right? One is a meat eater and one is a vegetarian. And so one's going to win out. But he's writing here to tell us, in the future, this world is going to see the curse is removed. And that there will be peace on this earth seen in very visible and very tangible ways. He goes on to describe it, the second part of verse 6. And the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, and their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. See, he's describing in the future a time where there will be unbelievable peace on this world on this earth, because Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, will be ruling on his throne. And the effect of that is that the world will get back to the way that God created it to be. Verse 8 gives us more description. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. Do we see that today? No. No. You saw your child going towards the hole of the cobra, what would you do? Get away. 
The cobra is not your friend. He wants to not eat you, but kill you or whatever, put his fangs in you. But in the kingdom of God, when Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, is ruling, the nursing child shall play over the whole of the cobra. The, there will be peace. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hunt or destroy in all my holy mountains. And so listen to this description. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Part of this kingdom, when the Prince of Peace is ruling, is that this world will know in complete confidence that Yahweh, that the, the creator God of the universe, is the one who made and, and is sustaining this. And he gives a picture here at the end as the waters cover the sea. And so what he's saying is, just like we look at our earth today, and what percentage of it is water? 70? I don't know. A lot. More water than not, right? And so he's saying, just as you see today, there is more water on this earth than there is land. In Jesus' millennial kingdom, when he is ruling, when the prince of peace the whole world will know who he is. And so Isaiah is looking into the future. We haven't seen this happen yet, but what, it, what does it do to us? It gives us hope. So when you're watching the news and you say, oh man, how could it get worse? No, there is hope that the Prince of Peace will do what he said he's going to do. And so now all of us, we want to get to there, don't we? We want, to, we, want, we want to get to that time. But if you flip back to Isaiah chapter 53. This prince of peace, the first time he would come, would come to win our hearts. Because even though this world is in opposition to God, the truth is every human being is in conflict with God. And so the Prince of Peace, the first time he came, and Isaiah 53 describes that to us, tells us what this Prince of Peace would do. And again, they didn't get it at that time. We can look back now and we can see it. And so let me read here from uh, uh, verse, starting in verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and was esteemed not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us, what does he say? Peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned 
every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. And so what he's saying is the Prince of Peace, the first time he came, and again, Israel missed it. They didn't get it. Because this world's real problem is in our hearts. We need peace with God in our hearts to have our relationship with him made right. But that it doesn't just happen because we pronounce it or God pronounces it. That there had to be a real death. And so that's what he says in verse, verse 5. Look back in verse 5. But this, this servant was pierced for our transgressions. He was tr- crushed for our iniquities. These are just big religious words for we have sinned. We say no to God. God tells us to go in this direction, and we say, I don't want to. I think I know better than you. Well, we don't really say that, but that's what we do. And upon him, the second part of verse 5, upon him was the chastisement. That's a, another big word there for the painful consequences or the punishment for our sin. And where does he say it was laid? Where was it put? It was put on Jesus Christ. He willingly and lovingly and sacrificially took it so that we could have real peace, reconciliation with God. See, he is the prince of peace. He doesn't just talk about it. He has done it. And that's what he's telling us here, that he has done it. Look back to uh, John chapter 16. Some of you might be like, well, this doesn't really make sense. These are Je- here's Jesus' words. And again, we could go to a lot of, John chapter 16, verse 33. And again, this is before he goes to the cross. This is before everything gets uh, kicked up. And so listen Listen to what he says in verse 33, John 16, 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, the only way we can be reconciled to God is because the Prince of Peace was willing to take the sacrifice for our sins and to die in our place. Peace is more than just a feeling. Peace is more than just a sign. Peace is more than just emotion. Those are components to it. But the words that he gives here, you're going to have tribulation. That's what he's telling his disciples. You're going to have tribulation, but guess what? I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you a confidence in me that you know that this is not the end. And so he tells us that. Turn over to Ephesians 2 after Jesus leaves. Ephesians 2, here's a description. Where do, where do, you know, one of the tangible places that we see peace is in the church. God takes Jew and Gentile and brings them together. Let me, let me just read here, uh, chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, the Prince of Peace, it doesn't say that, I'm, I'm connecting that to you. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off 
have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing walls of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So the church is the place. What is our common denominator here? Jesus Christ. We all have something in common, that Jesus Christ is our common denominator. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. And so peace with God is available. We can be reconciled. We can have a close relationship because of what the Prince of Peace has done. He has paid the price. And so one last verse. Uh, turn back to Romans 5. Here's another way that he says it. Romans 5, verse 1. Romans 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Where does peace with God come from? Jesus Christ. Not a trick question. Jesus Christ. He is the Prince of Peace. He came for one reason, and that is to redeem us. So that we would have an intimate, close relationship with God. And so the question this morning, you know, as we talk about he's the everlasting father and he's the prince of peace. And the question here this morning is, do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God this morning? This is a personal question. You have a confidence. And again, it's not a trick question. We're not here to try to trip you up. But what we, he came to offer peace that your relationship with him would be made right through what he did, not what you do. What you do won't make your sin white again. But what he did can make your sin clean. He is the prince of peace. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here and we're going to uh, sing one last uh, song here. Hark the Herald and has a little twist to it. Um, and so let me pray. God, we thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. And God, we sit here with the peace that Christ brings, but we also long for when you will bring your visible peace to this planet. And so there's a part that we have it, but yet there's a part that we, it's not fully here yet. And so we look forward to expect, with expectations to when you will fulfill all the things that you say. And until you return, we will keep living in your peace. 
Help us to declare it. Help us to share it. Help us to understand it. And that we would know you more intimately. And in your name we pray. Amen. Let me go ahead and stand as we sing this last song.